Pacers get perhaps their most impressive win of the year in Milwaukee. They beat the Bucks even shorthanded without Tyrese Halbert, who's going to miss the next three games. We'll talk about the game, how the Pacers got it done, what to expect without Halbert in the coming days, and March Madness, what Pacers fans should be watching for in the tournament. Busy show. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we have a big show for you. Lots to get to, first and foremost. Big time win by the Pacers in Milwaukee on the road over the Bucks. Historical precedent set. A lot of first timers for the Pacers in this game against the Bucks. How'd they get it done? How'd they upset the Giannis playing Bucks, even without Tyrese Halberton, which is segment two interrupted on Halberton. Uh, not a good one either. He will be missing the next couple of games at least for the Pacers. And we'll close out talking some March Madness. Fittingly, tournament just started uh, on Thursday. Well, the first four is before that, but you get the idea. What should Pacers fans be watching for in the tournament? Not the tournament, though, although this was an upset in March. Pacers in Milwaukee get a win over the Bucks, and they smoke them. 139-123, the final score in this game. Entering this game, the Pacers had lost 10 in a row against the Bucks. Right, they had only the last time the Pacers beat the Bucks. Are you ready for this? Nate Bjorkren was the head coach of the Pacers at that time. It was in February of 2020. They hadn't beaten Giannis since December of 2018, but they got it done in this game, and they smoked him by 16 points. Massive win for the Pacers. And they got it done for a couple reasons. How they pulled off this upset? Big picture, truly everybody, basically everybody who got on the floor was. Fire is the word I put in my notes. They all played fantastic. Wara against his old team, 12 points, nine rebounds, four assists. I don't want to box score hunt completely, but I mean, I could do this for everybody. Neesmith hit six threes and had 22 points. Buddy Heald was eight for 11 from the field for 20 points. Nambard had 24 and five. TJ McConnell had 19 and 12. George Hill, George Hill had 15 points against his old team. Jalen Smith was ridiculously good with his physicality, 14-7-4. I mean, they had eight guys in double figures. So big picture, it was a team effort with a group that usually when Halliburton's out, they struggle to look connected. They were all connected in this game. They looked really good. McConnell was was humming the second unit. Nembard was pushing it and making it happen with the starters, especially in the second half. Nembard's second half was tremendous, 21 points in the second half for him. And that's the big pictures. Everybody played well and filled their role. The little details are kind of many of them really stand out to me. But the big one is shooting. Three-point shooting masterclass from the Pacers in this game. They made them. Obviously, it's going to it's very easy to point to the Pacers making 22 threes in this game. That's the second most they've made in a game this season and one shy of their franchise record, 22 for 46 from deep and say that's why they won. But they did a good job generating them, right? They were getting to the spots they wanted to make the defense bend or change a little bit. And the Bucs didn't have Brooke Lopez, so the Pacers could get to the rim and have a little less deterrence, and that allowed them to kick it out to the shooters they wanted or take the ones they wanted in transition because they were getting enough stops or um, you know whatever they wanted to do to create threes, they could create them. That's how they got up 46. Right, That's a good number for them. It's probably a little, 
well, you know, on the high side, I honestly not like in a bad way, but just on the high side for their attempts, but they were drawing them and rightfully so. Like, you know, when you get a combined 16 from Nembard, Hill, Neesmith and Heald, I mean, it's going to be hard to beat the Pacers. <laughs> and so even without Tyrese Halliburton, who is a masterful threes guy, not just for his passing, but because he can make him pull ups himself, the Pacers doing that well to generate them and make them was so impressive given the personnel available. They were flinging it around. They were hitting all of them in the fourth quarter and the second half. In particular, they were fantastic. They had 49 points in the third quarter. They could not be stopped. In total, in the second half, they scored 84 points and were 13 for 19 from deep. Ridiculous shooting is a big part of this. And the the reason I want to harp on shooting isn't because just because the Pacers went ballistic from deep. It's also because they defended the three. Pretty well. The Bucks make 14.8 per game, fourth in the NBA, basically 15 a game. In this game, they made 11 out of 32. 34.4% Pacers defended the three-point line well. 0 for 5 for Chris Middleton, 1 for 6 for Pat Connaughton. You know, that's two guys going 1 for 11 who are normally more reliable shooters. Bucks make 11 fewer threes than the Pacers. That's a 33-point swing against a very good shooting team. And Pacers got Giannis in foul trouble. He had five. He can only play 26 and a half minutes. He's usually a very good generator of said threes. But without him out there, the Pacers did a good job of, you know, of drawing those fouls on him. He couldn't play. He couldn't make it happen. So credit to the Pacers and a lot of little things for allowing them to get the shooting advantage. Second thing, how the Pacers plop this upset? Andrew Nembar just wrote his name down. Really great game and really, really great second half. In fact, his first half, meh, it was all right. It was fine. His second half was, uh, I, I mean, this might seem like a stretch to some, but I think his second half in this game was comparable from a scoring perspective and probably better than that game he played in Golden State. That game, he, th- that Warriors game that he was amazing in and won them, you know, he was a better passer in that game and he did it for like the whole 48. In the second half of this particular game, Nembard was 9 for 14 from the field, 3 of 5 from deep, 1 rebound, 3 assists, 21 points, plus 7. Pacers were losing big at halftime. Big is a stretch. They were down 9 at halftime, and Nembard was so good in the second half, he guided them back in this game. He was insanely good. He, he could not be stopped, and that's something Carlisle keeps stressing with these young guys. It's so hard to learn the right balance of attacking with your shot and attacking with your pass, doing whatever you want to do. Nembard was brilliant at it in this game. And Nembard said he, he did the Bally Sports walk-off interview um, after the game. And he said, yeah, halftime adjustments were absolutely huge for me in this game. And it's impossible to, to say anything. He said, coach kept telling me to get downhill, right? He was getting into the paint. Carlisle confirmed set adjustments in his own post-game presser. He was awesome. He was fan. Fantastic in this game without Halberton. They needed someone else to step up in the ball handling and creation department. And Andrew Denbard did it. Maybe his best individual scoring half of his career so far. And he's been really good recently. I wrote a pretty long story about his transition to playing a little more point guard this last four or so games, three or so games. Double digit scoring in all of them, good assist numbers in all of them, doing a good job being a floor general. Something I talked about in a segment a couple weeks ago when he was struggling in general is. It's just because he's a point guard, right? He's got to adjust roles completely. At the point, he still looks good. Fantastic in this game. And now 14, 19, 15, 24. That's his last four games of scoring. Andrew Nembard looking very good. Reason number three, the Pacers were able to pull off this upset over the Bucks. 36 
assists. That's a season high for the Pacers, and that number comes in a game that their lead assist man literally did not play. And look, when you make shots, you get assists, and they kind of go hand in hand. You have to have good passes and be well connected to to, to set up the shots to get this. Just just have to make them for them to count. Pacers did both, right? They shot the ball really well, but they were also swinging it around and, and moving really well. Everything they wanted to do was working. The ball was never stuck to anybody in this game. So, like, the reason I think that's noteworthy and that when the ball doesn't stick is, like, guys you don't think of as being big assist guys were big assist guys. Six for Buddy Heald, four for Jordan Wara, three for Miles Turner, four for Jalen Smith. McConnell was the carrier here. He had 12. He was fantastic. Plus 36. TJ McConnell was ridiculously good. But you get the point I'm making. Everybody was bought into their game plan in this game, and they were, of course, making the shots. 36 assists, season high. Yeah, that'll work. Impressive stuff. And the last guy I wanted to single out, if you just dove in and looked and realized he only shot 44.4%, you'd be doing yourself a disservice to the game that Jalen Smith just played. He was fantastic fantastic plus 24 in less than 24 minutes so better than a point a minute just like mcconnell and george hill that bench unit was really good jalen smith defense sublime right did a great job being physical with Giannis. that's his second time he's shown to be the best Giannis defender on this team this season he did well around the basket he was still three of five on his twos he did well in the offensive glass and the four assists some nice decisions in the short roll some forceful plays around the basket Really good. One of his best, like, total package center tough guy games he's ever played. Well, not one of his best games ever for the Pacers, but in terms of impact and force and looking like a big man who's tough as nails down low, this was it. This was the blueprint for him. So you could point to a lot of guys, again, who had good games. They had eight guys in double figures. Neesmith hit six threes. Like, he he was, you know, I, I, I when I do my pregame game preview stories for SI, I always call out some important matchups. I put Neesmith versus Giannis. They're not going to guard each other, but you know they play head-to-head like the same position, whatever. And I said Neesmith's offense is going to have to be good for him to have a chance in this one. He had 22, Giannis had 25 because he made the six threes. Like, a lot of guys did really well in their role, but a lot of stuff went right for the Pacers to get this win. Easily their best win without Halliburton. The, the win against Golden State with Steph playing on the road is pretty good. Winning in Golden State in general is hard this year. Their other two were Detroit and Chicago. Right? I think this one with Giannis playing is the best Pacers win without Halliburton this season. It's not even close. It's one of their best wins of the season in general. Very impressive. They'll take it 32-38. and 38. If things break the right way on Friday, they don't play. Uh, but if the... Wizards and Bulls lose. Pacers will be in tenth by the end of Friday. Uh, you know, again, the, the wherever you fall on the play-in versus draft positioning push, whatever. But explaining the standings, that is the situation they are now in after a stunning win over the Milwaukee Bucks for the Pacers, one of their best of the season. And without Tyrus Halliburton, which is where we'll go next, Halliburton injury update before the game. Let's talk about it. Who needs to step up with him out? What will need to change as the Pacers lose their star? For the next couple games before we dive into that, though, let's talk about Nissan and more specifically their new all electric Nissan Aria. And to talk about it, we're going to talk about the Pacers and we're going to name our most electric Pacers player of the week. And this one was easy for me. It's Andrew Nembard, who stats I called out earlier, double digits in four straight games. And it's the floor general play, the passing the setup play that Troy stood out to me. He is a point guard, true and true, and I think he can grow into a combo guard in the NBA. He's already shown that this year, but he's been excellent and electric for the Pacers these last couple games. Now three and one, or excuse me, yeah, two and one in the last week with him 
as the starting point guard. His recent performances have been electric, brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful, and elegant. Just like the Nissan Aria 2023, it delivers on duality, a combination of fierceness and elegance. Beautiful but strong. It's the perfect SUV crossover. 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all into one electric vehicle. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV, for people who love to drive, shop now at NissanUSA.com. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Lockdown Grizzlies. Should have suggested this one yesterday, but I recorded before the news came out of John Morant's suspension becoming official. Here with the Grizzlies have to the Grizzlies hosts, excuse me, have to say about that. Where the Grizzlies go next when he could return? All sorts of good stuff from the local angle from DeMichael Cole and Joe Molinax. Let's keep talking about the Pacers, though, and their bad news. They got just before this game started. Tyrese Halliburton's going to miss. We learned before the game from Carlisle the next three games. That includes, he said at least the next three games, excuse me. Um, that includes the game that was just played by the Pacers. But so, so going forward, I guess I should say, it's the next two games without Tyrese Halliburton, certainly. Uh, after that, a little TBD. Uh, so here's what we know. Yesterday at practice, I asked Rick Carlisle about Mather and Halberton's injuries. He said that Halberton did practice. Uh, but it turns out later in that practice, or at some point in that practice, and the Pacers social media put up a, a post of pictures of practice. Tyrese was practicing. But at some point later in that practice, apparently, Halberton hurt his ankle. Uh, and, and Rick shared that before the Bucks game. Uh, Dustin Dopierak of the Indy Star put it out there. So, the, the Halliburton was dealing with a knee injury, if you'll recall. That's why he missed the games against the Pistons. He banged his knee into Jabari Smith Jr. at the end of the Rockets game last week at the end of regulation, played through it in overtime, missed those two games, was scheduled and, and on track to come back. Basically, he practiced, right, on Wednesday of this week for this game, one hour from his hometown, right, of Oshkosh in Milwaukee. But then he hurts his ankle in this practice. He's unable to go, and he'll be unable to go. For their next two games, they play Philly at home on Saturday. They play at Charlotte on Monday. And then they go at Toronto at Boston before coming back home. So a moderately tough stretch in terms of a tough home opponent and then three road opponents um, to lose your star for. And who knows how long he will actually be out. I just chose the two games after because you never know. But the injuries are kind of mounting with Matherin and Chris Duarte now also out at the moment for the Pacers. So they're going to have to manage shorthanded even longer. Still TBD on Matherin's return timing as well. But, you know, as explained by Carlisle before the game on Thursday, injury for Tyrese Halberton is an ankle sprain. Different from that knee thing, totally different. So who needs to step up? What's going to have to change for the Pacers? Because, look, as great as this performance was in Milwaukee, uh, I'm not thinking the Pacers are going to set a season high in assists and make 22 threes uh, every game without their star setup man available. Granted, I think their offense can continue to be fine if Nembard keeps hitting his stride and McConnell can lead the second unit in the way he did, but not to that extent. So those are the two guys that I will point out first and say are, are critically important for the Pacers in their upcoming games. They have a dozen games left, right? Their season does not have that much time left to get guys back. So it's going to be imperative 
one for Nembard to continue to play well at this position just for the Pacers to stay afloat right him he's been he's been pretty good at the balance of passing and scoring I think he had some really nice passes in this Bucks game despite only having five assists but he's got to continue to be that floor general type and pick his spots really well and his defense is going to be critical in a way that it always is but it's harder to play defense when you carry more of a load on offense so this is going to be big for him in terms of just playing well but also in terms of development right he's a young point guard he's got a you know, do all that kind of stuff and, and learn the position a little more and his reps. And again, this is on my story on SI, but you know, he he finds this obviously extremely valuable, these point guard reps. And so him taking advantage will be critical. And then McConnell is the guy that I think, you know, mirrors Halliburton's ability to push the pace and throw these hit ahead passes and all sorts of stuff that kind of suits the Pacers identity. I don't think he can do it nearly as well, obviously. He can't score like Halliburton. It's not even close. But in terms of the speed, he's the best. That's why they turned to him as a starter for a significant amount of time when Halliburton missed 10 games in January slash February. So he's important as well. Just point guard play in general. When you lose your star point guard, your other point guards have to step up. And they were brilliant in this Milwaukee one. They haven't always been brilliant when Tyrese Halliburton was out. They are two guys that it's very easy to point to them and say they have to be better, right? McConnell's going to. And and what I talked about yesterday with Brendan King applies today. We talked about. Uh, some stuff the Pacers need in theory uh, in the draft or in free agency or whatever on their next good team. And something I said is someone who can kind of score and pass with the ball, right? Halberton can do both and he's amazing and is the engine and McConnell can really pass, but isn't really the best in terms of the scoring and Nembard's learning to be better at both, but he's a little more gifted as a passer right now. And their other ball handlers are mostly scorers, right? They don't have anyone who can brilliantly do both if either of them can step up in this way and Nembard has shown it a little bit these last couple games that would be huge for them in terms of having a dual threat playing to their identity and having lots of options on every possession that will be huge uh and other unrelated to them you know underrated other excuse me guys that need to step up other playmakers who I just kind of described that aren't necessarily known for their playmaking are going to be huge like Jordan Wara has been a better passer these this last week or so. Like, can he continue to distribute at a decent level? Can Buddy Heald continue to whip the ball around effectively? Those two stand out to me, and there's others uh, in that mix. And, and maybe Ben comes back or Duarte comes back, right? They'll be helpful. G- George Hill was really good moving the ball in this game. You know, all of them are going to have to be crisp with their passing, too, to keep the Pacers' offense humming with Tyrese Halliburton out. But, they, you know, anyone who can dribble – a lot on one possession. They have to be really crisp and, and turnover free and mistake free, even more so without Halbert, right? Like like Carlisle said earlier this season, the margins are so thin for this team when he's not playing. And in this game, they made 22 threes and significantly widened their margin for error and they were able to get it done. But anyone who's in more of a bit role in terms of ball handling is going to have to be a little bit better in that area. And look, this might be dramatic. If he only misses two more games, this is certainly going to sound dramatic. Tyrese Halliburton at this stage but like I said there's only a dozen games left like their fate without him could literally decide and dictate the script for the rest of their season if he only misses the next two games and they beat Charlotte on the road and lose to Philly at home as expected and he comes back you know they can beat Toronto right they've done it twice already this season and they already beat Boston once a season I don't think they will again but they could right like they're, they're in the mix to keep winning and going whatever direction they want to go if he misses three or four games and they lose all of them it's going to be very tough to recover from that with eight games left to push for the plan and maybe they pull an upset against Philly like but whatever you want to say 
this time with him out because there's so few games left could certainly dictate the direction the rest of their season takes. And again, I'm not telling anyone how they should fan or what they should root for, but in general, I think what we'll learn is where the Pacers are headed and who needs to step up in the next couple games against Philly and Charlotte for sure. And potentially longer, depending on the recovery on this with Halbert and sideline bummer timing. Obviously you like to see the young guys play down the stretch of a season. Halbert still 23 years old. We'll see when he's able to return as well as Matherin and Duarte who uh, still no timeline on either of those guys in terms of their return to the Pacers. It's March. Let's talk about the NCAA tournament to close out today's show. I had a fun day uh, watching my bracket as my goal apparently was to go over 64 the first round. I think I got more wrong than right. But I want to talk about what you should be watching for in the NCAA tournament from a Pacers perspective. I like to do this show every year, break or this segment, I suppose, break down what I think is important and the kind of stuff I'm looking for. It's just how I like to handle this sort of thing. So let's dive in to that. Before we do that, though, let me talk to you guys about BetterHelp. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. When did you last learn something new about yourself? For me, it's that I like to compartmentalize my day, make lists. It makes it easier for me to tackle things and things like that. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Therapy can be helpful for anyone in terms of, you know, learning more about your own life or learning coping skills or setting boundaries or empowering you to be the better version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockdownNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockdownNBA. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Hop on over. To locked on Warriors. Hear what they have to say about Steph's 50-point game, Draymond's suspension for the 16th tech, and the 6th seed in the West clinging to that spot in the standings. The West standings are completely insane. I have no idea who's going to finish with what seed out there. Hopefully, the Locked On Warriors host Kylan Mills and our man, the surf show himself, Cyrus Atas, can break it down. Let's close out today talking about the NCAA tournament. March Madness is upon us. Crazy day one of games, as usual. 15 seeds are winning. 13 seeds are winning. But what to watch for from a Pacers perspective? The obvious answer, the zoomed out thing, is every NBA guy, right? Anyone who has a chance to go in the NBA. Last year when I did this segment, I talked about the the top-end talent. You know, Matherin, for example. Jaden Ivey, right? All the dudes that, in theory, Chet Holmgren, whatever, Jabari Smith is in the tournament, the guys that are going to be in the Pacers range. Well, this year they have picks all over the map, right? They have enough ammo to trade into the middle of the first round, right? Like any NBA prospect is theoretically someone that the Pacers could have the ammo or ability to acquire on draft night. So it's not just about, I mean, watching the best guys is obviously extremely important, right? Brandon Miller, uh, Jarris Walker, whoever you like or don't like, 
you know, they're obviously critically important to your viewing experience as as someone who wants to watch from a Pacers perspective. But this year, it's it's kind of all over the place. You can't just do the top prospects. They have so many picks. There's nothing you can really rule out. Shout out to Rep Hour, friend of the pod who's been on all the time. He, I hope he continues to do this every day, put up a little Excel sheet of guys that in the range of the Pacers picks, in, according to a lot of mock drafts and what time they play, um, so like, for example, yesterday had like Brandon Miller versus Noah Clowney with Alabama uh, or on Alabama, excuse me, as they played Texas A&M Corpus Christi and the Illinois Arkansas game had three prospects and two are, you know, lotto guys and one's a second rounder on Arkansas, like all this sort of stuff. It's really helpful for me even. Um, so I hope Rhett keeps doing that. We'll see if he he does or not. I was a jerk to him at first about it. Uh, but either way. Uh, it it's really helpful, and that's the kind of thing as, a, as you know, if you're a fan of this team, that will be really valuable. As for specific things, specific types of prospects, maybe specific names, whatever. Forwards, forwards, forwards. Look, it's very clear what the Pacers need. There's a giant hole of people between the height of six foot five and six foot ten. They have like two guys, and it's O'Shea Brissett and Jordan Wara, who are solid youngsters right now, but you know, maybe not the factor or the talent level that you'd hope for on a team that has aspirations to be better next year. So anyone in that height range or are in that ability level, taller dudes, forceful dudes who can play on the perimeter a little bit seem valuable, right? There's a lot of them in the top of this draft, but in terms of ones in the tournament, I already named two in Walker and Miller, but there's more like Cam Wentworth is kind of viewed as a forward. I think he's more guardy forwardy at the NBA level, but either way, uh, Anthony Black at Arkansas, same kind of deal there. Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida. I've been told by Red earlier today, actually, that he's another one, right? There's a bunch. Chris Murray at Iowa, if they trade into the middle of the first round, right? There's a lot of forwardy types, and some of them are not playing in the tournament because of the league they're in or because their team's not in it. But that makes a lot of sense. Taller dudes or skilled dudes who can be forwards. But specifically to me, and this is sort of guys you'll just have to watch and see it, guys who don't need the ball to be effective, right? This year, more than ever, I'm not going to dive into draft philosophy too much today. I'll wait till the season's over. But, you know, last year, Pacers were drafting best player available. Matherin's great. He's on a trajectory to be a good player. Halliburton has ascended. He looks great. He's an all-star already. Those two guys are also very good with the ball, right? Anyone the Pacers are drafting this year, the fit actually matters a little more. It should be a tiebreaker in a way that it wasn't last year. And so looking at guys who don't need the ball to be effective and can fit the Pacers' new identity, which is a little, uh, by a little, I mean a lot, a lot faster and, you know, involves a lot of passing and randomness and all sorts of stuff. Like if the player's on a slower team and isn't going to be used to that, it's going to take them a longer time to adjust. Or if the player's a little shorter and, you know, can't defend these guys, doesn't have the level of force, they're not going to be as effective, right? So prospects who don't need the ball and fit what the Pacers can do is going to be really important. Identity and fit are going to be key in this draft after nailing the Halberd trade and the Matherin pick and even really the Nembard pick at 31, right? So uh, I think that is the key stuff to watch for me is finding those NBA prospects, especially the ones who can theoretically be a good fit with this Pacers team. I'm going to say Jairus Walker's name just like a hundred thousand times. If I can, he, he's just so talented. Um, so that is one thing to watch. The other thing I would like to mention is don't get too caught up on players who have a strong tournament. Right, Not that it's not like super telling. For example, Dante DiVincenzo had a good tournament a few years ago. I didn't think he was that great in that draft. I was wrong. He's a good NBA player. Right, He would have been a fine pick for the Pacers. He was, I believe, available at their pick. Maybe he went one before them. Either way, 
he had turned his tournament shot him up draft boards. And I'm always very wary of that, right? Why does that matter more than the other 30 something games? And I think he had two seasons at Nova. I don't want to harp too much on DiVincenzo, but strong tournament play, not necessarily an indicator uh, of strong NBA play at all. The example I'll use very recently, I have two actually, uh, is Johnny Juzang, who was at UCLA. I think he was at Kentucky before that, right? He was good for UCLA that tournament. They, I don't remember if they won the whole thing or not, whatever. The, the year that Gonzaga made the finals in Indy. And the Pacers were picking in the lottery that year. I had so many people asking me leading up to that draft, why aren't they considering Johnny Juzang? Because you know, he, he wasn't good. He, he wasn't a lottery-level talent. He's fine. He's in the NBA. He's on a two-way deal with the Jazz. He went undrafted this past year. And Duarte was a much better pick, but people really were into him, and that really stunned me. And I think his tournament rise had a lot to do with that, and it just didn't make sense for the tournament rise to push him up that high. And like, here are your uh, most important, what is it? And most outstanding player. That's it. Uh, in the NCAA tournaments, these last couple of years, Abaji, who's now with the jazz, he won the lottery, Jared Butler, who's hanging on to his NBA career, Kyle Guy, DiVincenzo, Joel Berry, Archie Diacono, Tyus Jones, Shabazz Napier, and Luke Hancock. That's your last 10 most outstanding players in the tournament. The two right before that are good. Kemba Walker and Anthony Davis. And then it's Kyle Singler, Wayne Ellington, Mario Chalmers, Corey Brewer, uh, Joe Kim Noah, another good one. And Sean May, Emeka Okafor. That's your last 20, right? Like it, it, being awesome in the tournament can be important, I guess. It, you know, it can show that someone has a certain level of poise or mentality that's important, but it should not be a significant bump or drop to me, really, uh, of where someone's skill that they've shown for a full season, a full lifetime body of work. Uh, it should not be washed away or significantly boosted by the tournament, in my opinion. And that's something I would just say to be wary of. Like you can get it get a draft crush on a guy or whatever if you liked him in the tournament, but just be careful, right? It's not it's it's not always a good indicator. A hot stretch of a week or two is not a big deal. Key teams, like teams with multiple guys who could be going in the top 35, 40 or whatever, that if you have to tie break and you're interested in watching the tournament from a Pacers perspective, uh, that you should be diving into. Duke, Arkansas, Houston, Alabama. My Hoosiers have two, although Trace calling him top 40 might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, Kansas, all those have two Decently high projected NBA guys. I might have missed a team in there, uh, but I believe that's all of them this season because uh, the Ignite's not playing in the tournament. He, he, yeah, yeah, the, that you get the idea. So, yeah, that's the tournament. It'll be fun for everyone. People love March Madness. A lot of Pacers fans who usually are active on Twitter during the game. We're watching March Madness tonight. They should have watched the Pacers game. It was super fun. The upset over the Bucks was fantastic to watch. Next show coming on Monday. We'll talk about Pacers-Sixers, that whole game, that whole experience. Uh, we'll look at a big story from that game or a player who shined and, and, and shied, talk about them a little more. And we'll look ahead at the Hornets because that is one of the Pacers' few crappy opponents left on their schedule. And then we'll talk about that game the following day. Lots of fun stuff coming here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. I'm on Twitter at T East NBA and this show's at Lockdown Pacers. Yell at me if I said something dumb, which I frequently do. Hope everybody had a great day and has a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday.